Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for these moments to look together at your word. And Lord, we trust that you'll speak to us through them. Lord, be glorified in us during this time. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Does anyone here this morning like pulling weeds? I mean, this is just one of those things that you look forward to doing on a free Saturday morning. You just can't wait to get up and put some old clothes on and go outside and get down in the dirt until your lower back begins to ache and reach for these little green clumps of things that just look like they don't belong. Well, I hate pulling weeds. And if you're honest, I would guess that you probably do too. And the good news for us this morning is that Jesus, in his word, tells us, communicates to us, that we don't have to pull weeds. And not only do we not have to, in fact, our passage for this morning communicates to us that, God, that Jesus doesn't want us to pull weeds. Now, some of you think, I'm kidding, uh, but I'm not, at least not entirely. It's just that the weeds that are mentioned in our passage for this morning from the lips of Jesus are not the weeds that you're probably thinking of. And so I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 to see what it is Jesus was actually communicating by this. And, and I do encourage you, every time we gather together, to, to look in your Bible, to open your Bible together with me, because I don't want you to, to simply accept or dismiss something that I say from this pulpit casually. I want us to see together what the living, breathing Word of God says, what it means for us, and determine how it can be applied to our lives together as a church and individually every time we open it. So Matthew chapter 13, as we continue our sermon series entitled The Divine Storyteller, looking at stories or parables that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds, so, sowed weeds excuse me, among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time... I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Let's skip down to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus tells this story about some good seed and some weeds, or some weed seed. He tells a story about a man who went out and and sowed good seed in his field. But then at night, an enemy came in and scattered, planted weed seed among the good seed in the field. So as the seeds matured, there was both wheat seed and weed seed in the same field. So once again, Jesus tells another story, as he often did, with earthly pictures, earthly illustrations, earthly experiences, experiences that his audience, his listeners could have easily related to, but he didn't just tell it to give an agricultural lesson. He didn't tell it just for entertainment. We know from Scripture that he told these stories to communicate incredible spiritual truth. So he told these things to communicate things of God to his listeners. And in this particular case, in the parable of the weeds, Jesus himself gives us an explanation of the story that he told, just like he did with the parable of the sower that we looked at last week. And so we're fortunate to have that and to go by that as we seek to interpret this story and apply it to our lives. In the coming weeks, as we continue in parables, the stories of Christ, we won't be so fortunate because Jesus didn't always explain these stories, but, but where he did, we're certainly going to look at his explanation. And in his explanation to his disciples, his followers in verses 37 and following, he tells us who the main characters in the story are. The farmer or the landlord is, is the son of man, which is a title for Jesus, So Jesus is the one that scatters the good seed in the field. And the field represents the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. In other words, the people who recognize and acknowledge and submit to the king, Jesus. But then there's this other one. An enemy who comes in in the night. And the enemy, Jesus tells us, is the devil, is Satan, and he scatters other seed in the field, which are the weeds, and the weeds represent the people that don't acknowledge the king, the people that are outside of submission to the king, the people of the evil one, wicked people. And then he goes on and he tells us about his harvesters being his messengers, his angels, and the end of the age and when these things will take place. And so we learn here already just from a casual reading of the story that, that there is one, the devil, who is, who is opposing the work 
of God. There's one who is opposing the work of Christ, who is working secretly, maliciously, stealthily working to oppose the ways of God. And so we see that while Jesus is actively producing followers, Satan is maliciously opposing the purposes of God in this world. While Jesus is actively producing followers, Satan is maliciously opposing the work of God in this world, the purposes of God in this world. Church, Satan, the devil, is real. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is not a fairy tale figure from a long time ago, from ancient times. According to the word of God, Satan, the devil, the enemy, is real. And he is actively working in the world today to oppose the ways of God in the world today. It baffles me how some people want to to believe some portions of this book and reject others. A number of people, in the name of the church, in the name of following Jesus, want to Except pick and choose certain things out of Scripture to believe based off their feelings and experiences and reject other things, not recognizing that both feelings and experiences can be deceiving. Why not acknowledge and recognize a a true source that can be a foundation for all of living, fundamental to life, all of living in the Word of God? The word of God says about itself that all scripture is God-breathed. is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And if that is true, then we ought to pay careful attention when the same word of God, the same scripture, encourages us, warns us to be alert And to be of sober mind because the enemy is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. If the Bible is real and true and reliable, and I believe it is all of those things, then Satan is also real and unreliable. Looking for ways, constantly seeking, constantly working to oppose the ways of God and the people of God in this world. And he is stealthy. He's crafty. Just like a lion seeks to devour its prey. He is looking for opportunities to to pull the people of God and the people of this world, men and women, boys and girls, away from the purposes, away from the things of God through trials and temptations and doubt and pride and addictions and circumstances and and the like. He is working to oppose the purposes of God in this world. And so upon hearing this story, in this story, the landlord's servants, Jesus' servants, who we see from His explanation are his messengers, his angels. They they come to Jesus, they come to the landlord and they say, do you want us to go and and pull up these weeds? Verse 20, do you want us to go and, and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. 
Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And the weeds that are described in this story are most likely a weed called darnel. And darnel looks very similar to wheat in its early stages of growth. It's difficult to distinguish between the two in its early stages of growth, which is why in verse 26 we we see that the weeds weren't noticeable until the wheat sprouted and formed heads. And in the same way, often immature believers are not that distinguishable from others that don't claim any allegiance to Christ. But in time, they'll be known by their fruit. And so for this reason, Jesus says, wait. Wait until, until I say the harvest is, is ready to happen. It sort of reminds me of a time several years ago when I decided that I was going to have a, a green thumb and I was going to plant a little garden in my own backyard. And at the time, it seemed like the perfect spot. It was a little flat area of land out of the way. The soil was dark. The only problem was it, it, it didn't receive a whole lot of sunlight. I thought, that's, that's not a big deal. I can trim the trees. I can cut things back. We can, we can work with this. This is the right spot. This is the perfect spot. We can make this work. And what I found out, as many of you know, probably all of you know, that there are some things when it comes to having a healthy garden that are just non-negotiable. And sunlight happens to be one of those things. And so I was a little disappointed at the end of the year when, when I didn't have any okra and squash that could find its way to the kitchen and then to the table. And a little disappointed when I was able to dig up about half as many potatoes as I actually put in the ground. And after a dry summer that, and a lot of watering, that was one expensive bowl of mashed potatoes. But the next year, early the next year in fact, early the next spring, even though I had already decided in my mind I wasn't going to do this garden thing again, at least not there, I quickly got excited when I noticed that some of the potato plants began coming back on their own. I thought, this is good. This is really good. I'm just, I'm just going to let them, let them do their thing. I'll give them a little water from time to time and see what happens told Ashley about it. I was excited. This is good news. Perhaps this thing's going to pan out after all. And then after a few days, maybe even a few weeks, I was outside and I looked around and realized that suddenly these potato plants had spread all over my yard. And it was at that point that I became a little bit suspicious. So I dug one of these up and Underneath the ground, all there was were some roots. Which is not a good sign when the particular plant you're digging up is supposed to have its crop under the soil. But I had mistaken a weed for a red potato. I had mistaken a good-looking weed for a red potato. And Those of you that know my wife, know that I have not been able to live that down since. 
But the point is, in, in this world, sometimes immature Christians are not that distinguishable from non-Christians. But in time, they will be. In time, as they grow, those who, who are the people of the kingdom, those who have acknowledged the king, who have recognized and submitted to King Jesus, will look different from others in the world that claim no allegiance to him. And so when the, the servants of the king came and asked, do you want me to, to pull these up? To pull up the weeds? Jesus responded, no, wait. Wait until the time of the harvest. And we learn from that, that that King Jesus allows believers and unbelievers to remain in this world until the final judgment. King Jesus allows believers and unbelievers to remain in this world until the final judgment. Because what would have taken place in this story is that the weeds of the weeds would have entangled themselves with the weeds of the wheat. And as the wheat was pulled out of the ground, then as the weeds were pulled out of the ground, then some of the weeds, the wheat would have been pulled up as well. That's a tongue twister. Those two words are a lot alike. But what had taken place at this point when, when Jesus was telling this story is that the kingdom of God had been announced. Jesus had already announced that the kingdom of God had arrived in some form or fashion in this world through him. In fact, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, said the very same thing. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so in the the ears of a Jewish audience, this would have signaled that a distinction was about to take place. A cataclysmic disruption was about to take place between the people of God and the people of this world. That the people of God would would enjoy the benefits of the king and the kingdom and the people of this world would be wiped away. Yet in most respects, things went on as usual. And so it's in that context of of expectation and impatience that Jesus taught this story, that he told this story. But the king, Jesus, was and is patiently waiting the time of the harvest. Patiently waiting for the harvest day. The day of judgment on which he will return to gather in his crop. It's not our task to carry out His judgment on the world, nor is it our task as His people to to completely isolate ourselves from the world. And in this way, we're, we're different from certain segments of Christianity, and specifically I think of the Amish and certain Catholic societies that, that remove themselves from society as much as they can in order to not be influenced by the world, nor to have too much influence on the world. But yet we wait. Our task is to wait for the king. To wait for the arrival of the kings, so that he then will carry out his judgment, his harvest in the world. We learn that at the final judgment, Jesus will send his messengers to distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. Judgment day is coming. A harvest day is coming according to the word of God. And at that final judgment, Jesus will send his messengers to distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. 
today, that distinction is noticeable at times and obvious at times who the people of God are and who they are not. But the full ramifications of being the people of the kingdom versus being the people of the world have not been felt or carried out yet. And they won't be until he sends his messengers to carry out his harvest. Look back at verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. According to Scripture, according to the words of Jesus, the harvest day is coming. A final judgment is coming in which God, God will send His messengers, His angels, to, to distinguish, to fully distinguish between the people of the kingdom and those that are outside the kingdom. And they will experience different outcomes. The wicked will experience the terrible judgment of God. The wicked will experience the terrible judgment of God. Look back At verse 30. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Skip down to verse 42. They, talking about the weeds, which remember are representative of the wicked, those that are outside the kingdom, those that have not responded rightly to the king. Verse 42. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is a common phrase that's used to describe eternal judgment in Matthew's gospel. This is descriptive of terrible judgment in hell. This is descriptive of the place that the wicked will experience the punishment and the judgment of God for not rightly responding to the king. And those in this world that they claim that they don't really care what happens when they die or where they go when they die or if they go to hell when they die have no idea what they're saying. The wicked, according to Scripture, according to the Word of God, will experience the terrible judgment of God. But the righteous will enjoy the glorious presence of God. The righteous will enjoy the glorious presence of God. Look back at verse 30. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so the righteous, those that recognize and acknowledge their sin before a sinless creator, before a sinless God, and submit to the king, recognize and submit to the lordship of King Jesus, will experience eternity in the presence of God. We sang about that already this morning. Didn't we? And and through all eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. We're quick to to think of tangible things, material things, when 
When we think of heaven, we think of things like mansions and gold and the like. But the greatest part of heaven will be the glorious, disclosed presence of God. And simply by being in His presence, the righteous, the people of God will have faces that shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Like Moses' face. In Exodus chapter 34, when he entered into the presence of God and spoke with God and then came back out and his face was shining with the glory of God. There is coming a day when there will be a radical Distinction between the people of God and the wicked. And the people of God will experience the glorious presence of God for all of eternity, but the wicked will experience the eternal and terrible judgment of God. Although Satan is diametrically opposing God's ways, King Jesus will have the final word when he removes the wicked from his kingdom. Although Satan is diametrically opposing God's ways, King Jesus will have the final word when he removes the wicked from his kingdom. That's the truth. That's the spiritual reality that Jesus was communicating and still is communicating through this story to people today. And so how should this affect us this morning as the people of God in this church? What should our response to this truth be? And I want to leave you with three things. Number one, acknowledge the reality of the evil one. Acknowledge the reality of the evil one. As stated before, Satan is real. And he is working actively in this world to lure people away from the king. We even saw that in our parable last week, the The seeds that fell on the the hard ground, on the path, Satan came in and snatched them away. Satan is at work in the world today, and he loves to see people fail to, to rightly respond to the Son of God and Savior of the world. He loves to see people reject the grace of God, and he even loves to see Christians fail to recognize his work in the world today. So let's acknowledge that that he's out there, that he's real, and that he is actively working against the things and the ways of God. But, not outside of God's control. Not outside of the sovereignty of God. And so that leads us to our second application. Trust in the sovereign control and providential timing of God. Trust in the sovereign control and providential timing of God. There is a battle going on in the world today between the devil and his people and his ways and God and his people and his way. Yet, and don't miss this, the outcome is predetermined. We are not waiting to see what will take place. God wins. Christ is the victor. And Christ is already defeated Satan and sin and death and the grave, yet the full ramifications of that victory will not be experienced, will not be felt, will not be seen until the day that the king returns, until the harvest day. So let's trust in God. 
Trust in his control. Trust in his timing. Although Satan is diametrically opposing God's ways, King Jesus will have the final word when he removes the wicked from his kingdom. And thirdly and finally, let's proclaim the message of God continually. Proclaim the message of God continually. Because the wicked are dying to experience the terrible judgment of God while the righteous are experiencing the eternal and glorious presence of God, let's proclaim the gospel of God continuously. If the Bible is true, then many are dying to experience the judgment of God in a real hell while they could be through Jesus Christ experiencing forgiveness and salvation and restoration and eternal worship of the King in heaven. Let's be about affecting that trend. As the people of Meadowbrook Baptist Church, let's do everything we can to influence that trend, to point people to the King, to spread the message of salvation and hope and restoration Forgiveness and reconciliation through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim the message of God continually. Because even though Satan is real and he is doing everything in his power to oppose the work of God, King Jesus will have the final word when he removes the wicked from his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people and to worship you, to exalt you, to acknowledge with our lips and in our minds and in our hearts that you are king. And Lord, we thank you that you have showered your grace on us through substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Something that we didn't deserve, Lord. If it weren't for your intervention, Lord, we would be those those wicked people in this story. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your grace through Christ. Lord, I pray that you would convict us today and that you would challenge us today and that you would lead us to to faithfully follow after Christ and to proclaim the message of Christ today and every day for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.